Hello, Annalise here. Before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind our listeners in the U.S. to vote if you're eligible. There are four key voting details that we wanted to call attention to. One, if you're voting in person, make sure you know where your polling place is and get in line early. Two, double check to see if your state requires you to bring any form of ID when you go vote. Three, if you're voting by mail, please read all the instructions beforehand to make sure your vote gets counted and vote as soon as you get your ballot to help the USPS deliver it on time for election day. And four, if it's your first time voting by mail, make sure you check to see if your state requires you to send in a copy of your ID along with your ballot. As adults, it is our responsibility to vote in all elections, federal, state, and local. So if you are eligible to vote, go play your part in an election that can truly impact people's lives and vote. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Adulthood Pending Podcast. I'm Kimmy. I'm Annalise. I'm Brittany. We are a podcast for college students, recent graduates, or anyone else who is figuring out that being an adult isn't as simple as it's made out to be. Join us as we share how we're navigating our careers, post-grad lives, and the whole adulting experience. So today's episode is going to be about relationships. We're going to give some backstory about how we met our current partners and how our experiences have shaped our perceptions of being in a relationship. And we have a very special guest with us today, Kimmy's partner, Eric. So Eric, if you would like to introduce yourself and kind of give a little background of where you are on your adulthood journey. Sure. Hi, I'm Eric. I am Kimmy's partner of two years now. Um, where am I in adulthood? I suppose that depends on your benchmarks for adulthood. Uh, I suppose if I think about a few more conventional ones, I haven't graduated yet. I'm a senior, so I'm still in school right now. Not financially independent yet. I haven't lived on my own, like paid my own rent, essentially. I mean, like I've lived away from the house for like the better part of like five or six years, but still am not like fully moved out, I suppose. Um, not married or have any children or any of that part of life. So I would say I'm relatively early in the adulthood by these standards. Um, and then of course there's always like the, do you feel like an adult? And, uh, no, I, I think I, my conceptual age is like somewhere around 19. Um, (laughs) so I, like I'll be turning 23 in a, in a, in a month now. And I do think that that's like a few years later than I expect, but, uh, yeah. So as we've tried in our last episode, we're going to try to ask questions so that our listeners can get to know us a little better. And the question for today's episode is, what is your love language? So to give some explanation, there is a book written in the 1990s about the five different love languages, and it was this author's theory on how we like to give and receive love. So the author, Gary Chapman, broke this down into Five different components, meaning acts of service, gift giving, physical touch, quality time, and words of affirmation. So we just thought that it would be fun to share these to see how we are similar and different. To start off with, my love language is words of affirmation and quality time. My love language is also quality time, but in addition to that, it's also acts of service. My love language is, so with friendship, it's quality time, but I recently took it since being in a relationship, 
And that one was physical touch, which was pretty interesting because I normally don't. <laughs> you don't like physical touch. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's probably just because me and my current boyfriend are in a long distance relationship. So that's probably what I lack most in our relationship. I think mine is quality time. Last time I took it, but I feel like there's a lot of them that I appreciate. So I don't really know. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the whole concept of love languages is like, just like the Meyer Briggs personality test. Yeah. Just because you score highly in one of them doesn't mean that you don't like the others. It's just like the one mm. that you might prefer according to this test. Yeah. Mm. And I think like also, Brittany, you're, you mentioned that you're in a long distance relationship. So you probably value physical touch more. I do think mm. also that love language is dependent on your current situation and your mm-hmm. current circumstance too. Yeah, for sure. Because like when I'm there too, I think my love language also shifts to words of affirmation. Um, and Do you know if words of affirmation is your second yes, love language? Yes, it is. Okay. It is. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So if you want to leave a comment on our most recent Instagram post, you can let us know what your love language is so we can get to all know you better. So Eric, as our guest on today's episode, would you like to kind of dive into your own personal thoughts about relationships? Sure. I think one of the big things that I like to, I don't know, bring up about relationships is that all relationships are very different. And a lot of times we just use the vocabulary of quote unquote a relationship as if we're all thinking about the same model of a relationship and I don't think it's that way at all. In fact, I think a lot of times what we're talking about when we say a relationship or they're in a relationship or we're in a relationship, we have a specific model that we've like inherently inherited from society. And a lot of times I think for mm. a lot of people, that's like a heterosexual, mm. committed, romantically exclusive and monogamous relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are four completely different parameters that not every mm-hmm. relationship needs to satisfy, you know? And I think, for example, one of the, the easiest ones to draw attention to is like sexuality. I think the, the mm-hmm. kind of relationship model that we think about a lot in society doesn't always work for queer people or mm-hmm. people that are not straight, mm-hmm. for example. Their relationships mm-hmm. inherently look different. And, you know, like gender roles, right? Gender roles mm-hmm. get implicated in all of this. And then like what happens to like heterosexual or heteronormative gender roles in like a relationship with like two women or two men or even just two queer people, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I like to share that because I think that's something that's really informed my perspective about relationships and that's mm-hmm. that's developed over time. I learned a lot just being in a relationship with a queer person. It revealed mm-hmm. a lot to me because I was someone who, I, historically, I've only really been in those kinds of relationships that I just described. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was in this, when I started this relationship, even before starting this relationship with this, this, this person who identifies as queer, it started to reveal all these, like these preconceived notions I had Mm. and not necessarily how they're good or bad, but just like, I thought this was, this was how these things worked and it doesn't have to work that way. Or maybe you don't want it to work that way, you know? And, uh, Mm. I just think that's like important to consider. So, so that's what I think Mm. about, um, when I think about relationships. Mm. Yeah. Wow, Eric, thank you for bringing that perspective, especially since we are very limited between Annalise, Kimmy, and I. I think it's important to acknowledge our restrictions that we all can talk about when it comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. And I think you bring a really good perspective that we just really can't speak to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, to give some more context for our listeners, Kimmy and Eric, would you like to kind of go 
into depth about how you met and how you started dating. Sure. Kimmy, you want to start? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So Eric and I met each other around two years ago. At the time, we were both juniors in college and we had both downloaded Tinder around the same time. It was really our first interaction on Tinder using the app. And we were one of each other's first matches. So that was really exciting. So actually, during the time that I got Tinder, one of the reasons why I wanted to get it is because I had been single up until that point. I think I was, what, 20 at that time. And I felt like I was very content with who I was. So I was ready to like explore a relationship with someone. And I downloaded Tinder pretty early on in the school year, and Brittany was actually there to help me with my creation profile. Oh, your creation profile. With my profile (laughs) creation. (laughs) So Eric was, as I mentioned, one of my first matches, and we started talking. And initially, I was very interested in him just because he was pretty straightforward. After a few messages, maybe within the span of four days, He was like, you know what? I like you. Do you want to go out on a date? And I was like, oh, this is so straightforward. Yeah, sure. And the funny thing about this whole situation is we went to schools within the consortium of five schools. So we like had mutual friends. We lived really close to each other, but we had never met each other prior to this. And probably our circles wouldn't have really overlapped if we continued college without meeting each other. Mm. But we met in person, had our date. It ran really well and then afterwards I asked him for his number and our relationship flourished after that oh it flourished it flourished (laughs) I do remember you going to the day I remember because we were all living together at that time and I remember it was you got brunch right yeah wait Brit was like we got coffee yeah (laughs) I um yeah I remember like they had to meet at a certain place and I had to like walk somewhere where that meetup spot was on the way so i just remember i walked kimmy down and literally like hid behind this like bush and just watched her meet up with you <laughs> did you know that eric i did she told me after the fact <laughs> yeah oh so you didn't see britney hiding but you you knew afterwards yeah no i didn't see britney uh my skills that's how I good i am stealthy i am it reminded me of one of those cartoons with like the newspaper where you cut the circles in the <laughs> eyes. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Eric, what's your side of the story about how you and Kimmy started dating? All right, so my side, a lot of the details are the same, I suppose. I had downloaded Tinder as well, although my reasons for downloading Tinder were a bit different. I'd been out of a relationship for like maybe six months and uh, up until then, I had only been in like very serious, committed, romantic relationships. And I was kind of curious to try out this whole like casual dating, friends with benefits type thing that my friends were all about. And uh, mainly just like trying to experience intimacy in a non-romantic context, I mm-hmm. suppose. And so that's why I downloaded Tinder. Match with Kimmy pretty quickly. Uh, she was one of the first people I messaged, if not the first one. Yeah, and then uh, I asked her if she wanted to go on a date. And then pretty quickly into the dating process, I was like, mm, this, this doesn't, <laughs> this is not the direction I was like, I was, the, it was not the direction going the direction of like a casual relationship. But we continued to hang out. At some point, we talked about what we were looking for. And it wasn't quite a match, but we still continued to hang out and just, I guess, not really think about it 
And eventually, we just decided to, yeah, be more serious. And mm -hmm. I forewent the project of uh, casual dating. <laughs> and here I am now, two years later. The florist relationship. Flourishing. <laughs> Some would say trapped. Oh, my uh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the running joke in our relationship is that I baited him. She baited me into this this loving, long-term, committed relationship. The uh, the original Tinder project was a complete failure, aiming for <laughs> for like low commitment, casual interactions, and ending up in like a long-term, committed relationship. I I can't complain. I'm blessed, right? But uh, the project was definitely a failure for sure. So yeah, that's been the joke that he never wanted to be in a relationship, and now he's in one. Britt, you're also in a pretty serious relationship of almost two years as well and also long distance. So we have a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. So I would just be curious to learn more about how you met and why you started to date. Yeah, so um, I met my current boyfriend um, the summer before my sophomore year. We were on this summer retreat for the Christian Fellowship we were both a part of, but we both did not know each other going into it. But we were in the same group, and it was like a pretty small group, so it was maybe five other people. And so after that, we kind of kept in touch, and uh, I actually really liked him for my junior year of college, but he dated someone else. <laughs> Not salty about that, but... <laughs> no, she really um, liked so him. She would like... I really did. She he would always tell me, and she would purposely <laughs> go to church and drive him so she could hang out with okay, him. Okay, that sounds so funny. <laughs> I just think it's a funny detail. I mean, it worked out. It worked out, right? Yeah, it, it's funny, though, because... So after he started dating someone, I had to... In order to get over that crush... Because he was probably one, he was one of two people I seriously actually liked during my time in college. Mm. We had little crushes there, here and there, but he was one of the few people I actually liked. And so um, when he told me he started dating someone, I had to immediately switch to hating him, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> like, ask any of my friends. I would always complain about him. I would pick the little, like, the smallest things just to say, just to criticize him and not like him. And then senior year, we did this thing at our school. It was called Data Match. It was essentially you take this quiz and it was very Claremont Consortium centric and it was kind of a joke, essentially. And then they would match you with um, certain people and pretty much everyone did it. Like people, my friends in relationships did it. It was kind of just everything everyone did, but I didn't want to do it. But two of my really good friends, like, just forced me to do it just for fun. And then he was one of my matches. <laughs> and, yeah, so I didn't really think of anything of it. But we started just, like, hanging out because we were friends before anyways. And then this was, like, two months before senior year ended. And then we were like, oh, we like each other. And so we just were dating kind of with the intention of breaking up after senior year, but using our relationship as a growing experience because... I personally had not been in a relationship up until that point. And so, yeah, we started dating, but we decided to continue dating after graduating. So we've been long distance for um, over a year now. And he lives in Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm based in L.A. So, yeah. Cute. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So what's it like being in a long distance relationship? 
being long distance has been really interesting because in school it was my senior year and so my priorities were probably one friends two school three him which I know sounds bad (laughs) but (laughs) I had at that point most of the time during our relationship when we were together intended to break up with him after graduating and so going long distance he kind of became number one very quickly and Mm -hmm. I think it was hard for me to adjust to being dependent on or trying to balance not have not being dependent on him as a partner and trying to find my own happiness when at the same time most of the conflict in my life was being in a long distance relationship because I missed him so much it was really hard for me to adjust not being with him every single day so Mm -hmm. he very quickly became my biggest source of conflict in my life and I had to also at the same time try really hard to find my own happiness outside of my relationship with him Mm -hmm. um, in order to sustain the healthy relationship we currently have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I could have imagined how that would be tough because you just graduated, so you're entering this new phase in your life. You're in a relatively new relationship, and he's not, Mm -hmm. like, anywhere near you. So you're just, like, there's just a lot of changes in your happening in your life that Mm -hmm. I feel like could be pretty difficult, which makes sense why the beginning of your long-distance relationship could have been hard. Mm -hmm. Well, Kimmy, you and Eric were also also long-distance, right? Because, Eric, I believe you took a gap semester. Yeah. And, Kimmy, you were still in school, and then... Mm -hmm. You're, I guess you're long distance now as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Eric and I, we never, I mean, going into a relationship, we could not foresee what was going to happen. And like, we've actually been long distance for almost a majority of our relationship, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny because <laughs> Eric never wanted to do. No, definitely the majority, two thirds, two thirds of it. Yeah. yeah. And Eric never wanted to do long distance, so. He didn't even want a relationship, though. I know. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) Baited. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're right. I didn't, I wasn't really interested in a committed relationship. And not only did I end up in a committed relationship, I ended up in one that very quickly became a long-term relationship, a long-distance relationship, and is, like, continuing to be one. But, um, yeah, it was, like, we only had a little bit of time together before we were suddenly quickly separated because we met in the fall of our junior years. Yeah, so then we met in the fall and then summer, we had those three months apart. You decided to take a gap semester. Wait, what about spring though, junior year? Spring, junior year, we, we were didn't... together, right? Yeah, we were together. Yeah, you were together. Okay, yeah, so we had spring together. And then summer, we were separated. And then in the fall, I took a semester off. And then Kimmy worked an internship. So we went like, that was like a nine month window where we didn't see each other. Um, consistently. Summer and fall, consistently. Yeah, we like made trips to see each other. That's the other thing about long distance relationships is you got to really plan mm-hmm. uh, time to see each other. And it also costs money too. Yeah. It's like a non trivial yep. amount yep. of money. Um, I had to add a long distance relationship into my budget. Like, section for it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I just saw my bank account steadily decreasing while I was not making any money. But uh, (laughs) yeah, um, I mean, that's super, super valid, I think, to have to budget. Because once you're in a relationship, that is another 
thing to think about financially mm-hmm. because you know it's not even just about like even in relationships where you're not long distance you're still spending money mm-hmm. so yeah which we actually think like i think our long distance relationship is less than we the total like the total amount that i spend in a long distance relationship is less than if we were to see each other all the time because mm. it's maybe like one large expense every few months. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But still, it's like a large chunk of money that you have to allocate. I don't think, I think it's more. I think it's more than we would normally spend. Because the total sum is just so much? It's just like airfare. Of cost, of, and right, food, right. They just get, it's just large. It's a, it's a cost that would not exist otherwise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's okay. I'm okay with that. Eric, how has parts or factors of your relationship changed since being long distance? Um, it's a good question. Well, one thing for certain is is communication. Mm-hmm. And uh, f- making time for each other is, like, much more important. Because when you're in the same place, like, when Kimmy and I were at school, she might have said this earlier, we did not live that far apart. Mm-hmm. Like, even though we were at separate colleges, they were right next to each other. And I could practically, mm-hmm. like, throw a rock at her window. Mm-hmm. But that meant that we had a lot of circumstantial interaction. Like, it was mm-hmm. very easy to, like, get a meal together or if I wanted to go visit her or something like that. It was just, like, mm-hmm. very easy. But mm-hmm. long distance, especially with the time zone difference, because I'm yeah. on mm-hmm. the East Coast and she's on the West Coast. It's, like, three hours, right? Mm-hmm. You have to actually, like, plan your your interactions. And you have to make sure that your interactions that you do have are satisfying the needs of both people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for example, I, I'm naturally not a super social person. Like, I enjoy interacting with people. But I would say, like, my baseline state of social interaction is much lower than most people. And that's become a lot more obvious through long distance because I have to make more of an effort to communicate and, and initiate interactions with Kimmy than I might otherwise naturally do and then she also also has to keep in mind that like my keeping to myself is is not have to do anything with the relationship it's just kind of like mm-hmm. a, a quality of my personality i suppose and so I, I i guess to bring it back one thing that's changed is it is it's put a lot more weight and importance on scheduling time together and making time for each other mm. kimmy do you have any insights of how you think things have changed yeah i agree with eric i think Definitely being in a long distance relationship kind of like enhanced the potential conflict that was already there. Mm. Like one of our main conflicts is that like Eric isn't as much of a planner as I am. So when it comes to stuff like scheduling calls wherein when we are in different time zones, it's just a little harder because there's days perhaps when he doesn't want to talk and I'm not aware of that. So I think mm. over time, like my expectations for the relationship have shifted to a state where like we're able to compromise on talking every day or like if we aren't going to talk every day, talking about that in advance. So I'm aware that if he's not communicating, that's why. And I'm not sure mm. if it's like common for couples to talk every day. That's something that I really enjoy. But like Eric and I, we don't really text at all throughout the day. If we text at all, it's like to communicate when we are going to talk or we'll just send like random Snapchats throughout the day. But what does your long distance relationship look like, Brittany? Yeah, so I 
really like talking every day just well mostly through text throughout the week because we also have a time zone difference and so um, he's two hours ahead and my work ends kind of later than most work schedules so we we try to call at least twice a week and then throughout that I like to at least like catch up with him through text every day like at the end of the day for a little bit Mm -hmm. so from my experience on social media, aka TikTok, I feel like one of the two prevailing attitudes about relationships are either one, it's a lot of work, a lot of compromise, a lot of communication, or two, you should never settle for anything less than perfect. Like if this man or this woman is or this person is not doing it for you. There's someone out there who's going to give you 100%, meet all your needs, and be that partner that you've always wanted. Mm. So it's, I guess, a debate of whether it's someone is worth the time and like the commitment and the compromise versus if you should just drop that person and wait because someone better might come along. Yeah, exactly. So I was just wondering if like either one, you agree with either of those two sentiments or two, like why are there two such contrasting attitudes about relationships and how do you make sense of coming to terms with like each of those as someone with only one relationship experience I feel like I can't necessarily speak to that I don't know Eric what do you think Eric's had (laughs) more partners than we have so true yeah I see I I think I'm familiar with what you're describing here and this kind of media portrayal um Mm. Like this very black and white, like dramatized mm-hmm. or, or romanticized, perhaps, perspective about relationships. I definitely see the one where it's like people are very quick to tell you to leave a partner for mm, yes. a, for any sort of reasons. And uh, I, I often think that some people that are so quick to make those suggestions would not be quick to make the decision <laughs> if they were in the other person's shoes. Um, mm. And that's just like relationships are not easy, right? They take a lot mm-hmm. of work. and. They will inevitably have conflict. And uh, I think it's people are very quick to pass judgment on other people's relationships. And mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's very easy when you only hear parts of the story, right? When you only hear true. about some explosive argument that really brought out some like bad yes. side in someone's character. So true. Right? When in, in reality, that's a, that's a situation that might occur like once every three years or something. And so suddenly you have that in your model this incomplete model of like your part of their partner. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I think I, I've definitely seen that at least. And, uh, this like very black and white, and I don't encourage people to just like, I don't know, like keep searching for the perfect person. Cause I really think people also don't even know what a perfect person is or, or <laughs> what that would look like for them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's so hard mm-hmm. to know what your needs are until you start interacting with somebody that starts to meet those needs, you know? And it's so true. like, yeah, I think just like a lot of people don't even know who they could have a great relationship with to begin with mm-hmm. until they, until they start mm-hmm. one, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I also, to that point, it's like, you don't know who 
if that person will fulfill your need, but you also don't know how you yourself will grow. And I feel like as you mm-hmm. grow and you there your needs and your wants mm-hmm. will change. Mm-hmm. So someone was telling me also that they think that they will find their quote unquote the one a lot easier mm-hmm. now, especially with dating apps, because mm-hmm. you have so many more ways to find people. Mm-hmm. And you just have like you have literally one app mm-hmm. where you can go through all the eligible people in your area mm-hmm. whereas before it was like oh this person i meet they could be the one and like you don't know who else is out there mm-hmm. but then for people i wonder if the reason why people are so quick to drop someone is because they know that there are other people out there because mm. of dating apps or something mm-hmm. interesting I think the whole dating app thing that you're suggesting does provide this, I won't say illusion, but provides this idea that there are so many people out there, so many candidates, you know, and I do think that that has changed the relationship landscape, you know, for better or worse. Oh, for sure. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and definitely could, I think I could definitely see how that contributes to what you're describing here. I mean, like, how many times does one of your friends, they, I don't know, as soon as they get out of breakup and then, like, a week later, they're, like, on, they're, like, back on Tinder, like, meeting mm-hmm. new people or something like mm-hmm. that. And if anything, mm-hmm. people will go towards an app like that to help right, right. help navigate, you know, the exiting of a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Getting over someone, seeing new people, right? You know, and so, I mean, yeah. it's definitely changed the game for sure. Mm. Speaking of dating apps, Kimmy and Eric, you met on Tinder and... Kimi went on to find a relationship or mm-hmm. find a long-term relationship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then Eric, you went on to for casual dating, as you said, as you mentioned earlier. So what at what point did you go from, okay, I'm using Tinder to casual dating to, okay, I'm messaging Kimmy and I'm going to do this long-term relationship or a committed relationship rather? So that came after I had spent a lot of time with Kimmy. So mm-hmm. The more Kimmy and I were hanging out, the more I really liked Kimmy. Um, and it was very apparent that this was not going to be like a casual relationship or like a friends with benefits situation. In so what way was that apparent? We talked about it. <laughs> yeah. And you were not interested in it. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> to give background. But were you okay with that, Eric? Yeah, I was okay with it. And I also didn't want, because she wasn't interested in that, I didn't want to like push that subject any farther because I really liked her. And so I didn't want to compromise whatever in whatever relationship we already had. Um, Mm. But as we like kept hanging out more, more and more, I think we both wanted to have more of a serious relationship. And part of why I, I didn't want to be in a relationship was I just wanted more time to be single and quote unquote work on myself. Mm. Um, Mm. I did not want, a commitment to get in the way of me doing certain things in my life and uh, working on certain things about myself. Mm. And eventually, Kimmy convinced me that I would still be able to do that within a relationship. <laughs> and uh, and I, that took me a while to really... to I had to think about that for a while because um, I had been in relationships in the past. And after a while, I believed in myself that like, yeah, I can still grow and like do the things I want to do within a relationship. And after that, it was a pretty easy decision. But it was for me, it was that hurdle of really believing that I can that the relationship is not going to impede my life. Um, mm. And I don't think it has. I think it, I think if anything, it's 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 made it much better. 
and uh, and mm-hmm. it's she's been a supporting figure for a lot of those like aforementioned goals that I I talked about here. So it's like it worked out well. Wow! And to clarify, because I feel like I sound like a schemer, <laughs> like dated him and then convinced I mean, him. Oh, I mean. <laughs> to clarify, <laughs> when now to refresh my memory on the first date. He asked, like, what was your intention of downloading Tinder? So straight from Mm. the bat, we were very clear on our intentions of getting the app. And, like, I feel like we both had the mindset that we could be talking to multiple people while using the app, which I think is something that when people first get Tinder or any other dating apps, they don't necessarily consider. Like, I feel like Mm -hmm. when you install an app, you can't assume that the other person is only talking to you just because that's mm. not how the ad is, app is set up to be. Um, but as we continued to talk more and I learned about why he didn't want to be in a relationship, I was like from the get-go a little confused because all of the things that we were doing, in my mind, seemed like a relationship, like just the amount of communication mm. and contact we ha- had with each other. So it was at that point, two months after downloading Tinder and meeting, that I was kind of like, well, why aren't we in a relationship? Like, why can't we add this title? Which was something that Eric was against because he didn't mm-hmm. understand the purpose of having that title, which for me, it was important because I was just like, why not? <laughs> if we're doing everything that already is a relationship. Mm-hmm. Eric, can you elaborate on why you didn't feel a need to put a title or a label? Yeah, Just I can... curious, not, not, as, not like putting blame, but just because I... I feel like some people just don't like the label. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I can I could talk about that, especially because I feel like that's a point of contention for a lot of people. They're like, yeah. like I've heard from actually some of my female friends in particular to be like, why do these men, why are they so averse to commitment and not want mm. labels and stuff like that? Um, yeah, to DTR and stuff. That, mm-hmm. Yeah, this, this like, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and I would say for my case, it's like, a lot of it has to do with what does the label mean, I suppose. Mm. Um, and we've been talking about a relationship as like this idea or this entity that we all seem to be on the same page about, like mm. a relationship, right? When I think a relationship itself is a very complicated thing and every relationship has like different, different structure and different parameters. And so to me, it's important, what does the label mean? Like, I think for a lot of people, when we talk about, quote unquote, a relationship, what we're really talking about is a committed, heterosexual, romantic, mm-hmm. monogamous mm-hmm. relationship or some right. some like combination of like these types of things um, mm-hmm. is what most people think of. And yet we refer to it as like a relationship, as like this kind of universal concept when that's like that's just one specific model of a relationship, sure. you know. Um, and so if somebody has the idea that saying like we're in a relationship means that thing, it's important to me mm-hmm. that we define that, what that means before you attach any label to it or something like that. I feel like a lot of people go the other way around. They'll do this labeling process. Well, I don't know. A guy will ask a girl like, do you want to be my girlfriend or the, or the other way around? And, and you'll agree like, okay, let's be in a relationship. But you'll, but they won't explicitly outline all the details about the relationship. Mm-hmm. Like what the expectations are for Mm -hmm. intimacy Mm -hmm. and exclusivity and stuff like that. And so to me, it's more important to do all of that. And you don't even need a label to do all of that. Mm 
the mm-hmm. label is almost like secondary. It's, it's at the end of that laundry list of things to discuss, expectations to, mm-hmm. to assemble. It's like, okay, now what do we want to call it? You know? And so like, right. to me, the label was never so, so important as it was a, as being on the same page about how the relationship operates. Um, and the label was important to Kimmy, and I'm okay with the label. I, I should clarify with that. But the, to me, the label is not significant for that reason. To me, the label is just a is just the after effect, I suppose. Right. Um, it's like, what does that label entail, and what are the different elements of this relationship that you're going to define really mean? Exactly. Yeah. So for me, I guess label and commitment did not go hand in hand. I think some people say. Mm-hmm. I think some people think that when you're averse to a label, it also means that you're averse to commitment. And I think for a lot of people, that could be what's going on. But I would say in my case, I was averse to the label because it seemed like it was bypassing the entire conversation about what the relationship would look like, I suppose. Yeah. And And uh, I think like this is something that society has kind of drilled into so many of us is that you have to have a label for a relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think people you I think people use labels more as like tools than they so or like mm. for example, a common one is like my boyfriend, right? Mm-hmm, so in right. the same way that we are in a relationship is like a label. You know, in that way saying like that's my boyfriend is also a label. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. some people will use that label to to like communicate some sort of like ownership or something like that. Mm-hmm. And to them it's mm-hmm. important the label is important for other people. Like Mm, the label mm. in that sense, the label has like a social significance. And I've seen that a lot with like my, my friends and, and I don't know my people, their other relationships, like where the label is important to someone for, to, to communicate to the rest of the world. Um, Mm -hmm. and I could see that I, that's like valid, that's justifiable, you know? Um, to me, it, that's not as important to me, the label it's more important that we agree on the label and what it means, I suppose. Right. Um, but I think definitely it has a lot of people, the significance of the label is different for everybody. And I think you just, right. I think it's important to, to sort that out. Yeah. So we sorted that out pretty early on. And I think that was really helpful in understanding our expectations for the relationship, just starting off. And like, I think that's why we didn't really have a lot of conflict in the beginning of our relationship because things were just so clear. And I remember a few months into knowing Eric, I was like, wow, you know, if we ever break up, I'm going to totally use these skills for my next relationship. (laughs) Just because I feel like it was a really good, like, structure and how to be Mm -hmm. intimate with someone. Mm -hmm. We should talk about your experience with labeling and DTRing, Brittany. Yeah. I mean, mine was pretty, I feel like I don't have much to contribute just because it's pretty straightforward. What was it like that process from going from yeah. more friendship to like, yeah, something more serious? Yeah. And I guess especially because you two went into the relationship thinking that you would break up in like yes. two months. Right. Mm, so yeah. what was that discussion like? Yeah. So we have this ongoing joke that basically I did all the work in initiating every single thing in our relationship. <laughs> nice. So okay. I will say, well, because I was the one that kind of like broke the or like cross the line of being like hey i think i kind of like you like more than a friend and then i was like i think like yeah we should try something more and just see how that goes Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. i will say because we were had two months left of our senior year i was just kind of everything was easier to initiate because it was just like Mm. like let's just try this and see how this goes kind of thing right Um, and 
so yeah when we first started dating we were kind of both on the impression we were both on the same page of thinking okay yeah this is kind of maybe not the smartest idea to start a relationship with two months left where we're gonna be together but I like you enough to see what I can grow from in this relationship and I think you'd be a good person to do that with Mm -hmm. he was in a relationship a couple times before but not anything uh super serious so we were kind of on the same page of like yeah we just want this relationship to be something we can learn from and Mm -hmm. maybe learn future in the future what we would want in relationships so yeah defining the relationship was kind of just like okay like let's date we'll keep it really open-ended but yeah that's one thing we did not communicate super clearly but it was pretty prominent that we wouldn't maybe continue it after graduating just because we knew that he wasn't going to be in the same place where I was going to be that wraps up part one of two for our episode on relationships in part two we talk about who should pick up the check on the first date and what we learned from a breakup so be sure to check that out for more updates, you can follow us at Adult Pending Podcast on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and LinkedIn. We're at Adult Pending Pod on Twitter. And you can also send us an email to hello.adulthoodpendingpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in for part two.